welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero. Happy 2019 and welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast. I'm Dane Wallace with Freya Spence and today we'd like to welcome to the show two very intelligent women, Dr. Sue and Dr. Donna, who have been practicing medicine in the greater Toronto area for 25 and 28 years respectively. Both of these women work in family medicine and have a wealth of experience with people of all ages and all populations, so we're incredibly happy to have them on the podcast to share with you their health knowledge today. Ladies, welcome. Thank you very much, Dave. You're nice to be here. <laughs> All right. Well, um, thank you for taking the time out of the busiest time of year for most people to come sit with us today. One of the key things that we want to discuss with you today is changes in primary care. You've both been one-on-one with patients, seeing where the evolution kind of has taken our society as a whole in terms of wellness and in terms of sickness. Obviously, there have been very big changes over the course of this time in terms of how you guys practice medicine as well. But what we want to know first is what are some of the key changes over the last couple decades that you've seen in people's wellness and in their sickness. So what are the key things that you guys are managing these days compared to say 20 years ago? I think the one thing that stands out for me is stress. I'm seeing a lot of probably more stress-related issues now than I did when I first started. Now that might be it could be a function of the population that I'm seeing, my patients getting older. That it could be that, but I actually don't think so. I think it has a lot to do with um, societal changes, societal expectations, um, what's happening in the workforce. I mean, this is a really big topic as well. So I'm going to try not to get off off track. But so what I'm finding is a lot of people get kind of roped into the workforce, um, and before they know it, that's all they're doing. You know, so they may have the best of intentions to look after themselves. They may have the best of intentions. They want to do it all. They want to eat well, get enough sleep, exercise, but the demands of the workforce are so huge and that seems to take precedence. So a lot of the other things get kind of left behind. And then before they know it, they're in a position of health that they really don't, they know they shouldn't be, but they don't know how to extricate themselves from it. Yeah. Stress is a huge topic. (laughs) Yeah, and I agree with Sue, and I agree with her too, that it's not just that our patient population is getting older, because we see it in the young kids too. I mean, I have never seen, until the last five years or so, as many school-aged children and adolescents with big stress-related issues, where they're anxious enough that they can't even always go to school. Um, You know, that used to be the rare uh, child, and it's still not that common that it's that bad, but it's much more pervasive than it ever used to be. So, you know, whether that's a reflection of their parent stress loads, uh, you know, I do think that one of the big changes that's happened over the last 20 years, it's contributing to a lot of the stress is, you know, once upon a time when you left work, work was done, and it's not anymore. You know, a lot of people have what I think of as an electronic leash where they're connected to work by computer and phone in a way that they couldn't be before. And so the expectation is that they might be home, but they're still expected to be producing something and they're not having that time to recharge. Um, And I think that there's truth to that for kids as well, that, you know, when they're home, they're busy paying attention to an advice to a device rather than just kicking back and building stuff with Lego or getting tucked into a book for a while without worrying about being interrupted unless maybe a friend phoned them and then they'd have a conversation. 
Yeah, and I think that uh, like phones are one of the biggest problems. You know, phones are distracting kids and parents alike. And I think that's something that's segueing people into a lot of these mental health issues and communication issues and kids are showing anxiety issues as a result of that. Yeah, I agree. It's I think it's a big part of it. And, um, you know, there have been even some studies done looking at how parents and infants are interacting. And back when my children were small, you just spent a lot of time looking at your kid and interacting with them. And if their stroller seat was facing you, you were chatting to them as you walked down the street. And now I see all the time parents who are on their phones while they're walking down the street or on their phone while they're sitting around with their child instead of actually being fully available to them. So they're physically present, but they're not as emotionally present. And, you know, I can't imagine that that's helpful or good for a child to not have that adult attention when they need it. The other thing that's interesting is um, parents will... Marketing. So the thing that's interesting is that parents now, what they do is instead of, for example, maybe singing to their child, they'll put on a video or a DVD, you know, and they, so they've been told that, um, you know, this, that babies need music to, for their brain to develop, for example, you know, so, you know, I think that, that people have lost the, the simple, simple ways of, developing a child you know they're all they're very much into technology to do that you know and I I think it's too much myself <laughs> well, interesting I was uh, just reading I love that he mentioned parents would sing I was just reading uh, rereading a book that's a favorite of mine called uh, the brain's way of healing by Norman Doidge and mm-hmm. some of the sound therapy that they do is interlaced with the mother's voice mm-hmm. to help heal kids who are dealing with like autism and lack of uh, understanding on how to connect Mm -hmm. so it's very interesting that you mentioned that Mm because yeah I mean our parents sang to us all the time but I didn't even register that as being something that's lacking Mm -hmm. nowadays yeah and you know it's funny because I think parents also there's a huge expectation on parents now because they're being told that it's the better way to do it that if your child doesn't listen to you know baby Beethoven or whatever it is that you're lacking and in fact your neighbor is doing it so how come you're not doing it so you know so you've got that layer that's sort of placed upon things as mm-hmm. well which is tough for a new you know a new parent wondering what the best thing to do for their child yeah I agree. And uh, interestingly, one of my patients is a uh, daycare specialist. So she's someone who an individual daycare would consult if they had concerns about developmental delay or, you know, that kind of thing or motor delay in an infant who's in their daycare. And she commented to me last year that she is increasingly being consulted to assess children who are in fact normal, but who aren't developing to normal milestones simply because they're not being picked up as much. They're not being uh, interacted with in the ways that, you know, children used to be interacted with. They can't turn the page of a book, but they can swipe at six months. And so they're not developing that kind of motor skill to be able to take a page and turn it over and that sort of a thing. And so she's giving guidelines to parents of actually normal children to help bring their children up to milestones simply because the way of parenting and and the interaction with devices has so gotten in the way of their being able to develop normally that they're not. 
And there's sufficient evidence about how our environment has evolved so much faster than our actual genetic code, mm-hmm. right? So if we, we need those environmental stimuli to be there and losing them, I can see why, A, it puts a lot of pressure on people, but also it takes away from what would naturally have been in our environment in, in order to learn. So then you wind up with yeah. kids who are s- stressed out just as much as the parents are. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to managing stress with your patients, I mean, everybody is different. What are some of your key things that you prescribe? to help people manage their stress. Cause it's something that we talk to our clients about all the time, because when it comes to working out and nutrition, those need to be positive. Mm-hmm. If somebody's super stressed out, they come to us, they want to like just bash themselves in the gym. And that is the last thing they need. I mean, half the people with who are super burnt out can't even break a sweat. Their body's just telling them like, you need to stop. But what mm-hmm. are some of the key strategies that you guys deliver to your patients in terms of managing that stress and really trying to understand the impact it has on their well-being. So I think one of the number one things that I do is try to encourage people to get enough sleep because everything kind of follows from that. Um, And when I'm doing an annual exam, it's one of the questions I ask people is how much sleep do they get and do they feel rested when they get up? And I'm surprised at the number of people who are not rested when they get up, who are losing sleep because they're just watching stuff, like something that's very easy. It's not that they're having to look after children until the moment they go to bed or do household tasks or even necessarily be working. They're watching Netflix for two hours before they go to bed instead of just going to bed. So, you know, in many instances, when they feel that they, quote, don't have enough time to get enough sleep, they actually could make a change in that and that I think sends them in the right direction if yeah. they follow that. Yeah, we, we have a ton of clients who come to us and, and that's on our intake form whenever somebody starts to work with us is, you know, how much sleep do you get? And I think a lot of people also, they, they consider the time in bed as sleep. And there's a big gap there for a lot of people too, right? Like some people mm-hmm. take an hour to fall asleep. What if you wake up in the night, you get up to pee and then you can't fall back asleep? Mm-hmm. That's biting into your sleep time. So with sleep being a big topic, how much sleep do people need? I mean, I think, I think it varies. <clears throat> I think it does vary. I mean, I think the standard eight hours is probably a reasonable goal for people to aim for. Um, that's my feeling, Donna. You can, mm-hmm. you know, let me know what you think about this. Um, I think most people don't even get eight hours <clears throat> of quality sleep. That's the problem. So, and that's why what I, when I tell people <clears throat> eight hours, it really is something that they need to strive for. You know, certainly eight to 10 would be glorious if they could get there. But I think that that would be, you know, almost undoable, really. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Yeah. <clears throat> There's the occasional person who gets five or six hours and they feel great when they get up and then that's fine. Um, but I do think the average person needs in the neighborhood at least of eight hours. And uh, you know, I've had a lot of patients who will say to me, well, but I've been getting seven hours all my life and I'm only just starting to feel tired now. And I just say, well, you can't get away with it anymore. You were getting away with it before because you were younger, but it's catching up now. And so I invite them to do the experiment of trying to get a little bit more and see if they feel any different before they look for some other awful reason why they might be feeling so tired. You mentioned screens and Netflix as being a primary reason why people just won't go to bed. And we've had that discussion with people too. And they say, oh, well, it cuts off my evening too early, which is such an interesting perspective on it. Because if you had more energy for the next day, 
by going to sleep, you might then appreciate that like actually staying up for those extra hours wasn't really worth it because I feel like crap consistently and more so um, over time. But the other piece that people often forget, I find, is they put things like, oh, but I wear these glasses that filter out blue light or I put a filter, like a screen over my laptop. It's all these things that, oh, don't worry, I'm not looking at the wrong light. Our opinion on it is that it's not a, I mean, sure, the light does have an impact. We've seen that with ourselves as well when we did some time changes, but it's the content that's Mm -hmm. just as imperative to wean out as it is the light. If you are constantly barraged, say you get a stressful email or a text that just doesn't jive well with you or something that requires a lot of thought and potential action right before you go to sleep, we're just driving up all the hormones in your body to keep you stressed out and awake over that period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of managing sleep and stress, what are some key hygiene tools that you recommend with people? Cause you know, no one's going to give up their two hours of Netflix, but they might give up their 15 minutes at the end to go and like stare at a wall or a book. Well, I try to encourage them to make that 15 minutes, at least half an hour, ideally an hour if they can, to then switch to away from screens to doing something else to unwind, to have lower lights, to read a book, um, chat with their family members, just basically start giving their brain the signal that, you know, it's time to start making your way toward bed. If they can't do a whole hour, at least half an hour off of all screens and devices before they go to bed is where we often start. I think part of the problem if you look at this in a bigger way, is that people are still trying to do way too much in a 24-hour day. So they're trying to fit in all this stuff when really what they need to be doing is, yes, all of this is good. All of this filtering and, you know, all of that is good. But at the end of the day, I think people really need to evaluate. So one of the things, Dane, getting back to your question that you asked initially is what do you what do you ask people about? What do you tell people to do in terms of relieving your stress is I always tell people, what can you get off your plate? You know, because we all have way too much on our plates. People keep piling things on. We've only got 24 hours, but they're trying to. They're trying to work a 28-hour day. So they watch two hours of Netflix thinking that they can fit it all in. But you can't. You really can't. And so for me, that it's really a question of, okay, do you really need to do that? Like, what can you take off your plate so that you then have time to actually just sit mm-hmm. and not do anything? So I try that that's kind of the message I try and give people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a really yeah. good point. Yeah. And, and it's really what I say to a lot of my clients who fit that mold. I mean, everyone's a little different, but for people who have, they're just constantly on the go and they don't have any of that, you know, they, they're trying to have 28 hour days. It's learn to love the word. No, mm-hmm. like it's okay yeah. to say no. If yeah. people, you know, are going to be angry with you, if you say no to them, I mean, reevaluate that relationship because mm-hmm. if your health is declining because you're afraid to go to a dinner party on Thursday night I mean let's think about this for a second like yeah. your health at mm-hmm. some point it has to become a priority because at some point it's going to decline and that's when people start speaking with the four of us at this table mm-hmm. that's why they're speaking to us is because they're not feeling so great mm-hmm. and we're seeing all these different things so I tell people embrace no and embrace self-care because Mm -hmm. without that you can't enjoy the things you like to do Mm -hmm. well we had a saying growing up that was uh remember that with whatever you're saying yes to you might be saying no to yourself Mm -hmm. right so Mm -hmm. if you're saying no to somebody else in an effort it's not 
selfish in a harmful to others way it's selfish in a you need to care for yourself way if saying no to something means saying yes to your own health and well-being it's okay you're not trying to hurt someone in the process and I know a lot of people it's like that that fear of of not doing enough and not achieving enough um and they've seen that I mean if you look at some of the psychology studies you're seeing just a constant steady rise in that especially in urban environments Mm-hmm. because you can stay awake all the time everyone else is pushing so you feel like you need to push and um, particularly around certain times of year where the weather is not dragging us outside and distracting us as pleasantly as the summertime we find a little bit more of that ramps up so going into the winter what are some of the key things that you help patients with more what are some of the issues that you see arising a little bit more I mean obviously there's the flu season but what other things are you helping patients with more than at other points in the year and managing some of that? One of the things that I tend to see a lot, especially at this time of year, is um, mood disorders. So with the, with the shortening of days, less light available, um, it's, it's very obvious, actually, I find, you know, especially mm-hmm. at this time of year, you know, also with the holiday season, which sometimes isn't so holiday-ish for a lot of people, um, that coupled with the decrease in light, you know, it really does tend to make people drag a lot more than they did. And some people don't really realize what it is they don't realize that it's an actual that it's a it's a it's a mood or a mental issue as opposed to a physical issue so you know I think part of it is recognizing it uh, identifying it and um, you know there are simple things that people can do I think again self-care as you were talking about about before becomes even more important you know you really do need to take some time uh, for yourself during this the during these periods um, and then there's you know the 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 easy things are things like light therapy and vitamin d and and you you know, exercise, like all of that becomes really important, but it becomes really important. So, you know, it's stuff that sounds very easy, but a lot of people don't end up doing it. And so I try and get people to, to understand that small things will make a big difference. I just want to jump in on that quick too there, just to give some <laughs> solid takeaways. Yeah. So in the wintertime, then you mentioned vitamin D is one of the big things. So yes. do you recommend that Canadians in the winter do supplement with vitamin D? Absolutely. At this latitude, first of all, people often stop taking vitamin D in the winter, even when they have or in the summer, even when they have inside jobs. And as I say to them, unless you are getting out at noon for a walk, it doesn't matter that it's sunny outside. Your vitamin D level is not going to change. And the reality is, most of us work indoors year round. So we go into the winter without having a much higher level of vitamin D in the summer than we do the rest of the year. So most of us really need to supplement year round. And, and how much should people be supplemented? What's a safe amount for somebody to supplement? I usually suggest one to 2000 units a day as a very safe, you know, it's been studied up to taking 5000 units a day for five years without any adverse effects. But I think the average person, you know, one to 2000 units gets them into a very good range. Absolutely. Agreed. Yeah. Um, and then you mentioned exercise. You know, we are moved daily. <laughs> so we encourage people. And, it, and it's funny and we laugh about it. Yeah. And, and you said, you know, they're the simple things like vitamin D and exercise. Well, and I'm going to jump in and, on something that you said about the exercise and that sometimes people don't even realize that's what's happening. Throughout the summer, I, it's our cycling season. So I'm cycling two to three times a week. And two of those times, it's quite short, but it's first thing in the morning 
and it's like my brain space and it took me about a month in the fall to understand like I just couldn't seem to get the I just didn't feel like I ever had some time really to like find that brain space again and it took me a little bit to realize that it was because I didn't have the rides Mm -hmm. I knew I wasn't getting my creative space I was trying to figure out where it was (laughs) because I still was moving but I did not have the exact output and for me it's aerobic output and I mean specifically outside is the best but then uh Dane got a uh an indoor trainer because <laughs> he's like you're nicer when you ride <laughs> I, 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 I like her I like her more we, better <laughs> we completely understand that both but, being cyclists ourselves <laughs> but I could I, it was just more uh like it took me a few weeks and then I clued in I'm like oh my god so I'm still getting my movement every day but the precise output that I absolutely love that like gives me the complete you know getting in the quote-unquote zone um which is a nice space to be in was lacking Mm -hmm. and um we always encourage people to find something that they love to do Mm -hmm. like that right because otherwise there isn't really any joy in it but what Mm -hmm. are your recommendations in terms of getting people to move more when they don't well I often suggest if people aren't either in an exercise practice or inclined to move much to at least start with getting out for a walk and it does two things one it gets them outside which I think is very helpful for us to just get some natural light, even if it's not that intense at this time of year, on our faces. Uh, and then the other is to, you know, when they are out for however long they're walking, to to do it briskly. And the number one problem that people run into is that they say that it's too cold in the winter time. And unfortunately for them, I'm from Manitoba. So it has to be really cold to be too cold to go out for a walk. Isn't that unfortunate just, for you? Uh, no, because it's like really sunny there and you see a lot less seasonal mood problem as a result. And that's the honest truth. <laughs> see, even in the winter, sun makes a difference. Exactly. So I just tell them there's no such thing as bad weather, only inadequate clothing. Get the right clothes and stay warm, which in my experience, many Torontonians are dressing for fall and spring when it's minus 15 and then feeling cold. Absolutely. Well, the other thing that I sometimes that, that I'll do, I agree with Donna completely is, you know, walking and I, you know, everybody can get a pair of running shoes basically, right? That's all you need. You don't need a bunch of equipment for it. Um, but the other thing is time, you know, again, we come back to time. A lot of people end up saying, oh, I don't have time to do this. So what I'll tell them is I'll say, so how do you get to work? I take the subway. And so I'll say, so get off a stop earlier start with that you know and so that's what maybe 10 15 however long it takes you so you know you can build that into your day at least and then you might find as time goes on that if you're enjoying it then maybe you'll get off two stops earlier at that point so everybody needs to start somewhere and it can be and with small things like that as opposed to starting with a grand new year's resolution that i'm going to go to the gym four days a week and oftentimes that may last for a month if it does that at all and then it falls by the wayside we always encourage people to build it into their day because mm-hmm. they're the ones with the most success. And it's uh, with regards to like back health. So many studies just say, you know what? Getting people out and walking mm-hmm. is better than a physio program, not because the physio program wasn't good, because of the compliance to time for a long-term approach. And then more recently, I was reading a summary of it. It was a study that was showing that just five minutes, you mentioned brisk, Donna. Mm-hmm brisk walking can help delay a knee replacement in people with severe knee osteoarthritis Mm -hmm. so brisk walking then we also know that there's a there's a link there to fast-paced walking and 
longevity. Mm-hmm. So the, the decline in pace is often an indicator of less longevity or mm-hmm. a loss of, of health. The other thing I st- I'm starting to tell people now is they've, you know, they, they've found that the key thing that's going to help people maintain their brain in terms of Alzheimer's, dementia, etc., is exercise. You know, we used to think it was brain gymnastics like puzzles and things like that, but now, in fact, it's yeah. shown to be exercise. So that gets a lot of people interested. Especially our population is aging, and it's true of our patient population individually as, as well. And they're worried about that. They're worried about lack of capacity, not only physically, but also cognitively. And so they're getting a little bit more receptive now that we can say studies have shown. And it almost doesn't matter what kind of exercise. They've done studies with endurance exercise. They've done studies with people who are doing something 15 minutes a day. They've done studies with weightlifting. They all come down on the side of you'll have better cognition long term if you do something that gets your blood moving. A few weeks, we're going to be speaking to uh, Alicia, who's going to be coming on the podcast, and we're going to be speaking about alternative fitness. So not just, you know, going for a run or lifting weights, Mm -hmm. but just other ways to get people moving. Hmm. And that is a huge market that we see in people. Again, people think like exercise, but we want people to think in terms of my body needs to move if I want to be as healthy as possible. If I want my mental health to be the Mm -hmm. best possible, I have to move my body. And you mentioned to the aging population, but it's really for everyone. The first thing you mentioned was how much stress people have and what is the number one way to manage your stress? Exercise. 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 That's how we cope. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's the thing. And that's why, that's why we are move daily because it's the one thing that can impact literally every aspect of your life. Yeah. But childhood about- obesity for you know that that's a big yeah. one right you yeah. know so even yeah. that you start in, you start with kids and you don't end up with the issues so there, it, yeah. every aspect of health is affected you know can be touched if somebody just moves awesome because that's <laughs> my entire ethos brilliant it's like we put you there and told you exactly what to say but that's where that's where it's really interesting because you mentioned before it does sound so simple and we think about it and we're like yeah it's simple get outside eat connect with humans other like-minded people that you love and then make sure to make space and sleep so mm-hmm. move Make space, meaning like for your brain, for your body, whatever it is from the stressors of every day and then also sleep. And although it sounds simple, time always seems to be the issue. And then people run out of time in terms of their health and then they're on your doorstep wondering how on earth this all happened. Because to your point, Donna, they did get away with it for a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. And personally, some of the movement stuff that I do is for pain management. So I'm like, I could sit here and stay still and take a thing, or I could go move and change my stimulus. Mm -hmm. And it's also on like, you know, mental health side of things. Now, given that it is the darker period of the year, um, if people are getting outside and walking and increasing some vitamin D, when it comes to nutrition, because we've talked about eating well will contribute to obviously somebody's well-being. There's a lot of alcohol use around the holidays mm-hmm. and there's a lot of sugar use around the holidays. And I'm going to say it in those terms because that's what it is. They're like, mm-hmm. I need to get through the afternoon. So I'm going to use sugar as opposed to sleep at night in order to plow through. So what are some of your um, key takeaways in terms of managing that and in terms of what you encourage people to do? Well, I try to encourage people to still stick to guidelines for alcohol use 
during the holidays. Um, you know, a lot of my pop patient population is between the ages of 40 and 70, and many people are carrying a few extra pounds. So sometimes I can kind of say, well, you know, a really easy way to limit how much weight you gain through the holidays, in addition, obviously, to not overeating, is simply, you know, remember where some empty calories are. Have a glass of wine. Don't have two glasses of wine. There's some calories that you've gotten rid of. Um, but also, you know, to remind them that the guidelines are there for year-round use and that if they have several events, then have days off where they don't have any alcohol. I th I think that there's there seems there's a lot of pressure everywhere, <laughs> and I think sometimes people feel the pressure. They feel pressure to have that third and fourth drink. You know, they feel like they this is what they're they're supposed to be doing. Um, you know, so they can. I, I'll often tell people to do sneaky things like, you know, have have a glass of water in between, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so so make sure that you have a drink and then have a glass of water before you have your other drink, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a way to get you know to sort of decrease your intake. Walk around with a glass in your hand, you know. Nobody's really looking at you, uh, you know. So you right. can get away with that as well, uh, you know. So there's different things like that that people can can do to to uh, that will help what you discuss, Dane, but also just takes the pressure off of them to have that other drink that's floating around all the time mm -hmm. yeah to, to me that's in, in speaking to my clients the the pressure of things seems to to really be the number one reason why people overindulge in alcohol and mm -hmm. sugar over the holidays it's not necessarily because they feel they need it and they can't go without it yeah. it's simply because they're now in an environment where that's what happens exactly. and mm -hmm. they're just yeah. expected that that's what they're going to do so i i do i tell a lot of my clients grab yourself a, a short glass of water Put a couple ice cubes and a slice of lemon in it. Guess what? You got a vodka water. Right. You know? And, but, but really, it's yeah. if you're serious about your goals and about not gaining weight or losing weight, improving your health, you have to make sacrifices. You have to make changes. So one drink, cool. That's mm. great. Like, I'm sure both of you would agree. One drink, totally great. Sure. But, you know, if we're getting into five, six, I mean, then we're getting into impaired sleep. We're getting into all these extra calories and everything that follows with that. So it's you have to be very, very careful with alcohol. Sometimes if people are really worried about the pressure they're going to be under, I just tell them to lie. Just say, you know, my doctor said I'm not supposed to have more than one or I'm on a medication that or I'm taking an antibiotic for a cold and and just make it up. You don't have to be honest about why you're choosing to not imbibe as much as maybe you had in the past. You can lie and say you're the designated driver even if you came on the TTC. Right. I mean, unless people actually know, especially at a gathering with lots of people, unless they actually know, they have no idea how you got there. And, and, you know, it's pretty respectable to be the designated driver and not have any alcohol and, you know, just like make up whatever works. Donna, that, yes, brilliant. I, I'm thinking as you're saying that, though, it's sad that we have to make things up. It's right. It's right. It's That's sad. what I'm thinking. It's, 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 it's really sad that you have to lie about that. And I'm never... I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> 2019, we've come so far. <laughs> and and I, I have, so I've, I've given clients that strategy in the past, but I've also, it depends on the personality because I've also given other clients be confident in your choices. Be like, let your support crew. They're going to a party with your friends. There are people who should support you. If mm -hmm. your if mm -hmm. your health is important, if losing weight is important, 
tell them and tell them like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I need your support. You are my friends. You are my social support group. Right. You know, if you guys want to get wasted, cool. But like, give me a job where I can stay sober and still have fun at this party. Yeah. You know, if you share your goals with your support group, they will support you. Mm-hmm. And that's a thing that I think a lot of us forget. And if mm-hmm. those people aren't supporting you, you can find people who will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before we started chatting about this, though, uh, Donna, you mentioned you had a hangover cure. <laughs> so we're going to get the doctor's opinion on how to cure a hangover if you forgot to say no or any of the above. Okay, well, so this might not be very popular because my best hangover uh, tool is the hangover prevention tool. <laughs> so I actually don't drink too much the night before. I make sure I keep myself hydrated and I have a good time wherever I am like it's actually possible to do that so I was misleading a little bit in saying that I had a hangover cure but it has worked for me every single year of my life and uh, reliably so abstinence is always the best choice ladies and gentlemen (laughs) one or two drinks isn't abstinence that's totally fine I, I personally, if I know I'm going to have, you know, a few drinks, I'll actually have, I have a B vitamin supplement and I will mm-hmm. take a few extra oh. B vitamins before and or during when I'm drinking. And I will also have, I'll go one for one water for drink. Mm-hmm. And I honestly find that that does mitigate quite a bit. Yeah. yeah and I, I mean, I'll admit I've <laughs> coached some elite athletes on, um, not having any alcohol with sugar. And I gave mm. them a whole chart on which ones to go with first. And they were dying laughing. because. But my point was you're going to do it anyway. Oh, okay. So I may as well yeah. give you guidance on which ones will not affect your athletic performance the most. Mm-hmm. And then obviously also so you don't come back a week later feeling 5 to 10 pounds heavier and not being able to perform right. in the gym. Mm-hmm. And with us, we've always had um, athletic goals so that like friends have never doubted if we said no I'm not drinking tonight it's like okay cool no problem Mm -hmm. I'd like to train tomorrow and I think that's where the movement thing comes right back full circle Mm -hmm. of if you have any sort of exercise (laughs) regime or just moving that sort of thing keeps you pretty honest Mm -hmm. because trust me it's gonna hurt when you go and do whatever your movement modality is the next day if you've imbibed too frequently like we understand Mm -hmm. there are always outliers and you know that's Mm -hmm. life that's okay it's more about the oh, it's holiday season, so now it's two weeks straight of, well, here's another event sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Indeed. So another big thing that I'm sure you guys see a lot of is clients, patients who will come in and mention, well, I Googled this, and this is what I think I have, or these are the symptoms I have. So do you guys love Google? Is there, are there merits to clients having the internet and knowing what they have before they speak with you or, or, or how's that going for you? Uh, we have a complicated relationship with Google. I, I would agree with that. Do, do, do go on. So, you know, I think I speak for both of us. We like patients who are well-informed. And obviously people can access information online that gives them more information than it's easy to impart in the office. Uh, That said, some sources are reliable and some sources are not. And if people just Google symptoms, there's pretty much no symptom they can have that might not potentially be linked to something that can cause them to die. So it doesn't do much for people's overall anxiety and stress levels if they don't have some way of determining what are credible sites and what information should they really be paying attention to and not paying attention to. 
this this may be a bad question is there a credible source that you tell people is good or are you just generally saying just listen to your body if you think something's wrong come into the clinic let's not get overworked about these things uh well it would be lovely to say the latter but it doesn't work anymore (laughs) i think it used to but people have access to too much information and they're stressed and so it doesn't take much to add to their anxiety Uh, If they're looking up information on a specific condition, then I try to suggest that they use like one of the hospital-based sites like the Mayo Clinic or something like that that is based on research that's been done that has information that we know to be credible given our state of knowledge at the moment. Um, Sometimes people land on sites that are trying, you know, promoting products of one kind or another. And of course, there's lots of information on those sites. But if that information is only information from that site without any references and so on, then I, you know, people come in and say, well, I heard that this product is really good for that. And I'll just say, if the only source I can find when I'm looking things up, we have access to Google in our office too, (laughs) uh, is related to that website then they're just trying to sell you something. So of course it's going to be good for whatever ails you. Um, So don't take information from um, sites that also have something to sell. One thing that I that I actually try it, it for me it depends on the patient obviously. Mm-hmm. But you know if if I have somebody who who's anxious to begin with. I really encourage them not to <laughs> as yes. much as possible. You know, no matter how yeah. knowledgeable they are, you know, it's just creating more anxiety that is completely unnecessary. You know, so that to mm-hmm. me actually it, it informs it informs yeah. a lot. Yeah. It, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I have a lot of clients referred with uh, pain or various like injuries they're trying to recover from or surgeries they're trying to avoid. And uh, I've had a couple that have come in that are like very, very anxious have looked up all of the information about the surgery and they're freaked out of their minds and they said okay so these are the things that we can work on that are within my scope and these are things that I think are positive for your outcome are you ready to stop reading those things Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day like you said you can get any link between anything and it will potentially kill you if you mm-hmm. google the right things on google mm-hmm. um but not only or that the wrong things. or the wrong things <laughs> yeah sorry the wrong things not the right things if you google the right things you might get an answer but better to speak to someone who has the right filters but yeah it's it's that's interesting because that's where beliefs can shape the behaviors around something and it's i will research anything to do with any one of my clients movement wise and then speak to people that I need to speak to to get a better understanding like the therapists are working with. But when it comes to some of my own stuff, while I'm in the thick of it, I do zero research. Mm -hmm. I deal exactly with the person who's giving me the information to take care of my health. Later, when I'm through it or when I'm getting through it, Mm -hmm. then I might loop back and look. Mm -hmm. But like there was a a thing recently um, where I was glad I didn't look at some of the research until much later because some of it was like, oh yeah, and well, it's really... um, common that people from this go into liver failure and I was like oh okay well I'm glad I didn't read that because obviously that's not my outcome but that's the kind of thing that I think Mm -hmm. can freak a lot of people out unnecessarily and change their behaviors as such so you might have patients coming in and they've already altered their behavior in light of Mm -hmm. thinking they Mm -hmm. have a thing Mm -hmm. which can end up being potentially more harmful than whatever thing they actually have Mm -hmm thing technical term that's where it's nice when you have people like I encourage people to 
have people in their lives, you know, whether it's their healthcare team or, or whatever it happens to be that they trust, you know, so, so then they can actually go and speak to those people and rely on the information and feel comfortable relying on the information that they're getting from their healthcare team, as opposed to feeling that they have to go and look, look things up. So I'll have people who come in and say, I was going to do this. I was going to read about it, but I decided to come in and speak to you instead. And I appreciate that because mm-hmm. I know it makes them feel better as well. So it just, again, takes a whole load of a whole level of stress off of them. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, you know, I think it comes down to, you know, you need to have people on your healthcare team with whom you have a relationship that allows you to be vulnerable and allows you to say the things you are worried about, but equally to have people on your team who you know to be open-minded enough to listen to your concerns and address them rather than just brushing them off because that certainly doesn't help anxiety. And, you know, I also have patients, sometimes they've looked things up and they've come to me because they figure they should probably talk to someone who knows something. And sometimes they've chosen not to look some things up as, as Sue mentioned and always, you know, and every now and then we have to actually remind them, you know, I get paid to know about this stuff. I've, you know, I went to school for a long time and I probably know more than your next door neighbor. And, you know, every now and then when somebody's over, overwrought with anxiety because they've read about all kinds of horrible things that they might or might not have we need to be fairly firm in reminding them that they can talk to us about it and get some real information that they can trust because it's our job to be on top of these things and to sift the wheat from the chaff and uh, if they can hear that which often they can then they realize yeah that having a filter one way or another is very helpful yeah absolutely I think and that's one of our big prerogatives is making sure that people who come to us have a team around them. So they have their MD, they have their health coach, you know, they might have a personal trainer, they might have a chiropractor, they might have an osteopath. It's a naturopath. It's just, it's really good to have people in your sphere that have different areas of expertise and who you can speak to without having any judgment involved. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so kind of on that topic, one thing I really wanted to ask you guys, uh, we spoke about vitamin D. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that people are coming into and you're seeing people are over supplementing with something in particular? I know that as a nutrition guy, a lot of people come to me and the first thing they want to know is what can I supplement with? Like, should I be taking this, 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 and this? And the majority of people who come to me are supplementing with six to 10 different things. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my big things is generally you can pretty much stop taking all those and let's work on your food is, mm-hmm. is generally yeah, yeah. the thing I don't, you know, if you're taking vitamin D, absolutely stay on top of it. If you're taking magnesium, I don't argue with that. Yeah. But is there anything that you guys see if they come to you that are there people who are supplementing with something that ne- they really shouldn't be? That's kind of a chronic out there that you see, or is it not so much a problem? I can't think of anything yeah. like any one thing in particular, but I do agree that there are some people who are on lots of supplements and that they're there are some people who um, think that in order to age healthily and that sort of a thing, they need to take a lot of supplements of this kind and that kind, and they're kind of micromanaging their health that way and spending a lot of money. Uh, and some of these are people who are already eating really well and are moving well and like they're actually in good health. Um, and I don't really, you know, I don't really see why they need to be doing all of that. Um, I agree with you on the particular supplements like magnesium and vitamin D and, you know, sometimes for some people there will be particular things, you know, someone who's vegetarian or vegan needs some supplements of things that are normally only found in animal um, foods. Um, But for the most part, 
people are looking for a quick fix and there isn't one. They just have to eat well. And there's almost always a lot of room to improve in ways that actually aren't all that difficult um, for many people. Yeah, that's a great answer. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Now, we've talked about supplements and about sleep and about alcohol. Where does caffeine fit in the mix with you? both in terms of discussing it with your patients because we have clients who come in on the nutrition side who complain of poor sleep quality and then it turns out they're having literally a pot of coffee spread out throughout the day Mm -hmm. Um, and they're like no I'm a fast metabolizer can you shed a little bit of light in terms of your input on where that belongs because you know it's not the enemy yeah caffeine is a is an interesting one because I don't think that one size fits all with caffeine necessarily Mm -hmm. um you know I have patients who for example you know a half a cup of coffee and they're having palpitations you know so so I I think that 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 topic does need some exploration like I I tend not to say okay go ahead and have one to two cups of uh, caffeine a day you're probably going to be fine with that I mean I think it does deserve a little bit more um but having said that I do think there's an upper limit <laughs> you know lower limit is 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 variable but uh but the upper limit you know for the most part i would i would say you know no more than three servings of caffeine a day you know any more than that i think what probably happens is i think people are getting side effects with more than that they may not be aware of the side effects that they're having um and so what i'll sometimes do is i'll sometimes say to them listen so why don't you try cutting back and see what happens see how you feel mm-hmm. you know see if you feel any different and then you'll realize whether or not it's affecting you. Um, but as I said, I you know I find it very interesting how a fair amount of people cannot have even a half a cup of coffee a day mm-hmm. without having side effects. So I really do when it, anxi- again anxiety. You know, people mm-hmm. come in. Caffeine is the first thing that I'll often tell them. I'll say, cut back on the caffeine that you're having, see what happens. And it works. It mm-hmm. works in a number of occasions. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, we know that there are slow metabolizers. We know there are fast metabolizers. So I think many of the slow metabolizers are, as Sue says, they really can't tolerate much at all, especially if they're inclined to be a bit anxious. Um, other people can, can have more, but as Sue also said, like it's often interfering with their sleep even when they think it's not interfering with their sleep just because it builds up over time and they're still you know working on yesterday's caffeine when they're having their morning coffee yeah and and i think a lot of people who know about the fast metabolizer slow metabolizer thing will just default to well i'm a fast metabolizer because i've always done it i was one of those people (laughs) where i drank a full french press throughout the morning i would just keep going and then finally i kind of weaned myself off and like man, didn't like my bowel movements got better. I just was less jittery. I could go to sleep better at night. Mm -hmm. I'm not a fast metabolizer. I was just confidently saying that that's what I could do because I could get it down and I I felt fine. I felt alert during the day, no problem. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a lot of people out there from what I've read, it's about one in 10 people are a fast, like a super fast metabolizer and the rest are kind of kind of middle of the pack. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, one out of 10 is like really, really slow and you really have to be careful to have any. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. well, and I suspect to that point, even within the context of being a fast or slow metabolizer, right? That's just based on genetic testing. But then when you put them into the environment they're in, if they're in a high stress Mm -hmm. environment, you are no longer abiding by the rules of a fast metabolizer. You're super stressed out. We always used to say like, if you're really exhausted on waking or um, you've got some other signs of like your system being really unhappy, those are the last days 
that you need to ever have caffeine on. It's counterintuitive. The days that like we're resting on the weekend and we're having a good time or we're away on Mm -hmm. holiday, those are the days that we'll squeak in maybe another half cup at like 10 a.m. because it's just like every, there are no other compounding sort of stressors Mm -hmm. within the context of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, we always like to ask people about peak moments in their practice so because you guys have both been in practice for quite some time we're often Mm -hmm. asking colleagues that have been in the industry for like 10 years or so you've got a couple decades to pick from a peak (laughs) moment that kind of defined or changed the way you practiced with your Mm -hmm. patients or with yourselves or that was like one of those switches that came on that stands out in your mind I, I, I don't think I can necessarily define a peak moment but I can tell you about a switch in the way I practice. I mean, I think coming out of medical school, you sort of go by the book. You know, you're taught this, you're taught that this is what you do for this. And a lot of it does tend to be relatively prescriptive and and it ends with medication for the most part. And I think for me, as I continued in practice, I think I realized that, oh, in fact, maybe that that shouldn't be the end point. It doesn't have to be. And it's not the best end point either. You know, and I think so that's probably, again, I, I can't even recall when that was. But there was definitely a shift where I sort of moved away from chemical more towards, okay, let's again, step back a little bit. Let's look at diet. Let's look at, you know, what can you do before you have to take the medication? Um, so that's, I think that's, that, that, I hope that answered your question for me. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's the hallmark of a good MD folks. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I can't think of a peak moment in my career either when, but I would say that the shift that I had in the same direction uh, probably happened more through my training and in the few years when I was a full-time stay-at-home mom listening to lots of other people in my like fellow parents and um, teachers and that sort of a thing whereas I like to say I had three years of practical pediatrics but it wasn't only just looking after my children, it was also interacting with a lot of lay people, many of whom, because we were living in England, didn't have um, an education that went beyond about age 16. Um, And listening to their concerns and listening to uh, the limitations on their budget and that sort of a thing. So that I think that shift kind of, and I also had two of my children while I was going through medical school. So it kind of pushed me into a different um, approach to my education a little bit too, that I think kind of having a more holistic approach kind of started along the way for me, rather than it being something that happened when I was practicing. It started happening a bit earlier than that. But then I think there's always that juggle between but the guidelines say this but I think this might work and so I think it takes a little while early on in practice to get comfortable and realize yeah I think that's actually the right way to go so that I think was a gradual process over the first few years of practice yeah that's great and you know a lot of people taking med school these days and we see the stress um have two kids during med school <laughs> that will probably you know put that in perspective a little bit there <laughs> times times can be tougher times can be far more tough um, so just to just to wrap up we, to uh, be fair i got to have like a play break at home <laughs> from studying which you know 
is both movement and fun. And, uh, you know, that was a good way to recharge my batteries before I tucked into the books. <laughs> well, I think the takeaway there is go have a play break. Maybe don't have children while you're going through med school, unless you find children very hilarious and that's what your play break is then perfect go for that see i thought the take home was have kids during med school to get play breaks see see everyone has a different filter um it's a good thing we're not in med school all right ladies a few wrap-up questions here for each of you what is the most impactful book you've read in the past year um I'm going to say the story of the human body. I mean, I've read other books along the way that probably had more of an impact, but what I often do when I'm talking to patients is remind them that from an evolutionary point of view, we're not that far away from people who were subsistence farmers. And so the story of the human body had a lot of information looking at um, how our bodies developed, how our bodies need to move in a healthy way, how our bodies came to evolve to eat particular diets, that kind of a thing that I think is, it's kind of getting back to basics and understanding a little bit better how our bodies actually work so that if people were to read it, they would get a better understanding of where a lot of the best health advice uh, and fitness advice comes from now, that it's not about like what's happening with our bodies right now. It's about what's happened with our bodies over time that means that some of the aspects of modern life are really out of sync with what our bodies need and that's the part that needs to be fixed there's a similar book called primate change and i liked the analogy they had which is why i'm interjecting he said it's like the script of a romeo and juliet play that's our genetic code Mm -hmm. but if that play goes and gets delivered by five-year-olds, it's going to be very different than if it gets delivered by trained actors. Mm-hmm. And that's the environment that you put those genetics in mm-hmm. and that our environment has changed too quickly for what our coding mm-hmm. expected to encounter. Yeah. Yep, explains why we're uh, getting kind of sick as humans. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the, the one that I can think of is, it's called The Dorito Effect, which was actually a fascinating book um, because it talked about, it basically has to do with preservatives. Um, it has to do with marketing as well. So it talks about how our current food, a lot of it is engineered in the sense that even the flavorings, that, okay, so even if you're taking packaged foods, for example, so even the flavorings and colorings is artificial. It's artificially created. Um, so, for example, you know, if you're if you're eating a bag of chips, let's say, they can they can write down that it's natural flavorings when it's there's nothing natural about it. So basically, what they're doing is they're taking a natural compound like vanilla, for example. But what they're doing is they're identifying the chemical structure of it, making that chemical in a factory, and then putting it in to, for example, a bottle of vanilla and calling it natural. And they can do that because it's the natural chemical, but it doesn't come from the vanilla, you know, the the bark, basically. So apparently, you know, it's interesting because entire um, industries get decimated because they no longer now need the natural, they, they no longer need to collect things from nature to produce vanilla. Fascinating. 
<laughs> well, I remember being able to recreate uh, various mint flavors in organic chem mm. and being, I mean, I thought it was cool, but I was also kind of like, wait, yeah. how is this considered <laughs> natural? But technically it passes FDA and it it's does. natural. It does, yeah. which is really like, scary, I just actually. made this in a lab. Yeah. 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 And I think that's a nice reminder or maybe new information for some of the listeners out there, especially when you look at labels in grocery stores, anything that's on the front of a label, whether it says natural or organic or whatever, anything on the front of a label is marketing, purely, purely marketing. And you have to look into the ingredients to have any semblance of what's even in the food at all. But this is also why we want to always go for whole foods that don't have any nutrition information on them because they are one ingredient, real foods, because as you just indicated, even some of the natural ingredients that are in the ingredients list are artificially created. It's quite sad again. You know, it's very, very sad that the bottom line ends, ends up being a marketing industry and it, it ends up being money. You know, some money's being made by somebody, essentially, which is very sad because it's at the expense of our health. Mm-hmm. I think we hit rock bottom when Coke released a green bottled, naturally sweetened product <laughs> this summer. And I was like, well, they're using green and they're using the word natural and sweetened, but I'm like, you're still drinking a can of sugar with yes. all these artificial ingredients. Um, so with regards to your own healthcare, what is your one non-negotiable self-care tool? You both have busy practices. Caring for others is what you do. It's your passion, but it also does take a certain element of, you know, it takes a toll to constantly care for others. What do you do for yourselves that's non-negotiable? Well, I can th- think of three things, but if you're going to say what's the one thing, it would be to serve yourself first. Fill your jug before you pour it out. And so for me personally, uh, that means getting enough sleep. That means eating well. And that means regular exercise. I can't really honestly narrow it down to just one because if one of those falls away, I really notice pretty quickly. I would have to agree with Donna. That's actually exactly what I need to do as well. And I need to do it because, you know, again, it's you, you, from, from experience, you realize that if one of these things falls away, that you've, you know, that, that you're, you're not going to be any good to anybody at all. So I agree completely. Exactly. Always do your home life, Jack, before that of others. And this might segue into the last one. So if you had five minutes to, to speak with somebody, what's the one thing that you would impart on them? for their well-being. If I had to pick one of those three things, you know, again, I think it would be exercise. I think it would be get moving, you know, go for a walk, you know, get a dog, do, you know, anything like that, move. And get I think dog. that's great, actually, <laughs> man. They will wake you up yeah. and you have to go you out. You have to do it. You want a mess on your hands. Right, exactly. yeah. So I, I think that would, and, and because I do think that that would lead to a bunch of other things that are beneficial. Yeah. And I agree completely with Sue, and that's what I would say too, because, you know, if you're exercising, you're sleeping better. If you're exercising, you notice the difference in your body when you've eaten well and when you haven't eaten well, and so you start shifting towards healthier choices almost because it doesn't make any sense anymore not to. That's excellent. We love that. We thought potentially, you know, sometimes when we ask people that, they say sleep, which isn't untrue. But with lack of exercise, your sleep is never good quality. And we find a lot of people are just getting into this pattern. Oh, I just need to sleep more. I need to sleep more. What they actually, because none of their sleeps are deep, Mm -hmm. what they actually need is some output. Your brain got exhausted throughout your day with all these brain tasks, but you didn't do any body-based tasks. And so now your brain's tired and your body's absolutely wired. So yeah, so I think that's a great place to just... uh 
finish it off here. So thank you so much, ladies, for coming in. And uh, thanks for the parting message of Move Daily to all of our listeners out there. I wish we could say we had scripted all of that, but we didn't. Yeah, so uh, it was fun. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you very much. Great. And so, yeah, so that's the uh, first Move Daily Health podcast of 2019. So everybody out there, get moving daily and have the best 2019 ever. We'll catch you next time. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. To hear more, head on over to Stitcher or iTunes and subscribe to the Move Daily Health Podcast. And don't hesitate to leave us a review. Thanks for listening.